Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning and happy Friday. And next week, I'm so excited to say that we will be, we meaning the American Family Radio Network, um, a lot of us will be at the National Religious Broadcasters event in Orlando, Florida. And Florida Governor uh, Ron DeSantis will be there to welcome uh, NRB International Christian Media Convention, and I uh, will be speaking there in the evening at 6.30. And I'm very happy and excited to announce that he's going to join this program Monday morning uh, ahead of that speech to uh, talk about that and a few other things. So uh, we've been looking forward to interviewing the governor uh, for a while. So he will join us uh, here on Jenna Ellis in the morning, Monday morning, so you don't want to miss that. Um, so let's cover a couple of things uh today on this Friday that are really important uh, to families, to education, and ultimately the biblical and Christian worldview of society. And of course, we've defined politics as truth in community, truth in society, and how we interact with each other. And we figure out how to deal with the fact that we are fallen, sinful human beings, and we still have to uh, engage with each other uh, in spite of that. And so, of course, the Bible lays out a great um, definition of the family and the church and also the government as an institution. But when government takes too much control and the family uh, and uh, the church then abdicate too much power to the government, it results in actually a lot of harm. And uh, Kimberly Lowe, who is the director of legislation for the Global Family Alliance, as well as the director of the Center for Court Reform and Justice, uh, joins me this morning. She's also currently running for Senate in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And she wrote an, an amazing piece that you need to read in American Greatness that's titled How the Courts Fostered a Family Crisis, Corrupt Judicial Systems and Widespread Human Trafficking Haunt the Nation's Family and Child Welfare Policy. So Kimberly, thanks so much for joining me this morning. And I thought this piece was so apt because um, in looking at how the courts really just aren't equipped to deal with the problems of um, family and relational uh, interactions that really should be through the church as God designed, it ultimately ends up in all of these things that your article suggests. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. It is such an honor to be here. Um, The seat that I'm running for is incredibly important. I'm running for U.S. Senate against Tim Kaine in 2024, which is a winnable seat, which would give us control in the Senate so I could address these family issues. What is happening with our families has been created by design in order to destroy the American family. The first thing they did was to remove God, destroy the family, take over media, take over government, take over our schools. And the next step is really the invasion at at our border. But the one thing that I can really fix are the policies that are separating and destroying our American families. Our courts are not actually constitutional courts. They're admiralty courts. 
So a lot of people think when they go into a court situation that they're going to have some type of right, um, some type of right to their family. But in reality, the government owns and controls our children, and the government decides what happens to our children. What's horrifying is that it's our taxpayer dollars that are being used to remove children from families. We are currently losing one child per minute to the government based on false accusations. There's a bill called the Adoption and Safe Family Act. From that, we spend $29 billion of our taxpayer dollars to remove children instead of reallocating that money within it so that way we can address education, housing stability, mental health access, opioid addiction treatment. So this is all fixable. The other aspect of our courts is that we have so many marriages resulting in divorce. Now, this is definitely a societal problem, but the problem is is that it's become a $50 billion industry. So when parents go to court, it's become a for-profit business, and in no way are they doing anything to make sure that our families stay together or we have some type of 50-50 shared parenting. Much of the time, they remove parents completely out of the picture. We have policies like Title IV-D, which is also in the Adoption and Safe Family Act, which is an incentive to remove fathers out of the picture where you, you get a certain amount of money per month if the dad isn't in the picture with child support. Currently in family courts and just regular divorce situations, and I'm talking about you know middle-class families and even, even affluent families, they are removing the mother out of the family at a really high rate. And even more horrifying, children are being placed back with their abusers, and we have almost a 1,000 children murdered at the hands of their abusers. Now, court is something that I can fix if I get elected. All we have to do is make sure that certain policies like the Family First Preservation Services Act gets enabled across the states. That's something that we were able to get through. That allows us to take that $29 billion, we allocate some into Title IV-B, which is money for reunification of families. But again, this is all set up to destroy our families and our society, and it's costing us a lot of money. Do you have any questions so far? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really great uh, summary of everything, and it's really tragic. Um, I'm talking with Kimberly Lowe, who's the Director of Legislation for the Global Family Alliance, um, as well as the Director for the Center for Court Reform and Justice, and she mentioned as well that she's running for Senate uh, for Virginia. And um, Kimberly, you know, the, speaking of this kind of you know billion-dollar industry, it seems like um, everything in um, government or even the private sector is designed for profit instead of really to cure solutions or to um, to actually serve the consumer base. And unfortunately, that that is uh, the court system. And you mentioned in um, this article as well that, the, uh, in effect, the courts have been weaponized to harm American families. And um, when you mention things like child custody and um, you know some of these other instances where parents either are summoned to court or they have to go for a dissolution of of marriage and permanent orders. A lot of those things are governed by statute. And I actually um, clerked for a 
a domestic relations judge back in Colorado in my um, my first year of law school, and he would always tell parents who were coming for their permanent orders, you know, even when it came to things like property disputes, which certainly aren't as significant as as um, children and and placement. But he would always tell them, you know, listen, I don't know what's most important to each of you, and if you don't figure it out yourselves and have an arrangement that I'm going to have to decide for you. Um, but in, in this sense, you know, what really is the solution when you have people that are going through these these issues and, they, and they're either required by statute or they choose to come before a judge to have a judge kind of arbitrarily decide uh, what happens, especially when it relates to child custody? So... The solution is that there has to be oversight over our courts, and we have to make our courts constitutional courts, because we have a lot of really great laws, but none of those laws actually get followed by judges because it is a financial gain for everyone. And what families need to realize, when you get married and you sign a marriage certificate, you're signing up for the state to own everything. So my my personal opinion is that you should go get married in a church and you have to ask if those marriage benefits are worth it for the state to basically own your children and own your assets. I want to talk about a couple numbers and then talk about the solutions and talk about what this has caused, if that's okay. Sure. The statistics 10 years ago were that more than 22 million American families had been separated due to poor family court practices. That means that children never see a mom or a dad or even grandparents again. In my opinion, after all the years that I've spent looking at this, we have to have oversight. And in Virginia, we have a commonwealth attorney over the county. Uh, Different states have different systems where they have an attorney over their county. And I think that with the amount of money that we do have coming in that we can reallocate, that we can afford to have someone in each of those offices to make sure that the laws in your state are being followed, make sure that the Constitution is being followed, because a right to be with your family is really a First Amendment right of association. And uh, the courts are doing horrible things, like they're using psychological exams as a way to take children from parents. Um, It's really become a business. A lot of the professionals have left. We need to make sure that we have trauma-informed individuals working within the court system. We don't really have that. We have CASA workers or guardian ad litems who many are not parents. Uh, In places like West Virginia, social workers don't have to have any education at all because they're completely overwhelmed and overburdened. And again, as long as we have that oversight, so that way we can make sure we get laws followed and the Constitution followed, we have trauma-informed judges, then I think that we can solve a lot of this. We have to stop things like ex parte orders, meaning that children are being removed from their homes based on a false accusation. Most of the accusations are completely false. The system has been weaponized. If there is not a financial incentive to remove children, then we're going to start seeing the the reunification of families. Uh, A real concern with what's happening is the number of children being trafficked once they do get taken by government into foster care. Now, I am not against foster parents. A lot of times foster parents have no idea how this system works and what is happening. We do need some of the funding in Title IV-E for foster parents. Not all, not all children are in safe homes. 
but a lot of the kids that are leaving their parents end up in a worse situation where they end up getting sexually assaulted, abused, and trafficked. The statistics on children who were trafficked uh, are that 98% of them had some type of involvement in the foster care system or CPS, and we're losing an estimated 55 foster children per day. Some states like West Virginia, and I mentioned West Virginia a lot because West Virginia has the highest child removal number in all of America. I mean, it's a big mess. The legislators know it's a mess. They don't know how to deal with it. But um, what West, West Virginia um, is an example where they don't even know how many children are in the foster care system or where they are. And wow. what all and, and, and Kimberly, we're about out of time, so I'm sorry to, to cut you off, but um, really, really appreciate um, all of your insights. And uh, this is Kimberly Lowe, and you can find uh, the article that is at American Greatness, um, How the Courts Fostered a Family Crisis. And um, what is your website so that people can uh, learn more about your campaign? Thank you. It's www.kimberlylow.com. I'd love to have everyone's support so we can make our families as strong as possible. And thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. And, um, you know, this is really a an issue that um, we as Christians need to look at. And this is why there's a lot of discussion about preserving the sanctity of uh, marriage and making sure that it should be the church that is uh, over the family and is arbitrating those types of disputes. I know from uh, some of my friends who are at uh, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, for example, or were there formerly, are talking about how much um, there are a lot of false accusations. And then once uh, CPS gets involved in some of these other things, then it has to go through this process where, as Kimberly just said, there are professionals that have uh, that have other aspects and other intentions in mind that are just going through uh, kind of these steps and they don't really have the best interests of children in mind because as the Bible says, Parents um, are given to children and children are given to parents and parents have the responsibility and ultimately the right in this country to direct um, the the health, safety and welfare of their children. And we shouldn't be turning that over to the government. Um, I'm not sure I agree with uh, with the statement that signing a marriage license is kind of, you know, giving uh, away all of your property and your children over to the government, because even if there's um, if there's not a marriage, but there is a child formed of, you know, a union, then. And, and there's an issue with custody, the government is still going to get involved in that instance. So, um, you know, that's a conversation, though, for uh, for another day in terms of uh, how we deal with all of that. And I think we've abdicated far too much power to our government instead of retaining it to the church and the family. But we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are talking uh, today about truth in society and uh, dealing with uh, too much abdication from the family and the church over to the government and the state. And this, of course, um, often includes uh, education and government-funded schools. And joining me now is Julie Pickren, who is a member of the Texas State Board of Education. And um, Julie, I wanted to ask you, you know, what is the 
uh, the context of what's going on in Texas um, as the first state to pass a law allowing um, full-time school chaplains, because this seems like something that um, the state can do, and yet the Biden Department of Education uh, seems to be not so happy with Texas for doing this. Yes, good morning, Jenna. Good morning from the great state of Texas. Um, yes, I'm Julie Pickering, Texas State Board of Education, representing District 7. And um, for the first time in the uh, Texas has passed a school chaplain bill where school chaplains can be employed full time by our local school districts. So, you know, placing a chaplain full time on, on every campus in Texas, you know, uh, uh, a subject to the local independent school district adopting the policy. But we're so excited about this. We're so excited to lead the nation again in education and bring chaplains to our schools. Yeah, so this really sounds like it's it's at least an effort to return um, God into schools, at least some. And so, um, so with the the hiring of chaplains, what does this actually look like functionally, and how is this going to um, really help the the children um, in in schools daily? Well, how how it works is, you know, chaplains are already in so many areas of our of our uh, public sector. You know, the military, the prisons, um, our hospitals. Even in Texas, several of our airports employ full-time chaplains. And so the great thing that happens is, is chaplains are charged with the spiritual care of our teachers and our, and our kids, our students. And so the wonderful thing that happens is chaplains just bring a sense of peace and security to a campus, you know, especially for a teacher. So right now, you know, everything that's going on with teachers in our country and in Texas, we're losing te- uh, teachers by the thousands because the, of the mental health and behavior issues and what's going on. So, you know, if you're a teacher right now, and you're going through a traumatic time, you're going through a, a hard situation. Right now, your only option right, is to talk to either a peer, who you can hope will keep your confidence, or to talk to somebody who's in a position of authority over you. So it's huge for our teachers to be able to talk with somebody who's safe or to pray with somebody who's safe. Because chaplains, they also, you know, they bring prayer back into schools. You know, we saw with the Supreme Court case with Coach Kennedy that um, prayer is for back in our schools. So there's not really anything to block a chaplain now as a, as a school employee to pray with a teacher or to pray with a, with a student. And so yeah. it's just huge. Also, uh-huh. yeah, I, I was just agreeing with you and saying I, the coach Kennedy case um, was an amazing victory for religious freedom and bringing uh, back prayer into schools. And, you know, that case as listeners might remember um, was about a coach who just, you know, knelt in a, a silent of moment, uh, a silent moment of prayer on the 50 yard line, never even asked us students if they wanted to participate. Sometimes they did, but you know, totally up to them. And he was fired for it and ultimately won a really great victory at the U S Supreme court. And uh, we really appreciated that. Yes. And um, how this came about was, I was a, an elected trustee for a local school district for about 30,000 children in my local area before I was elected to the state level. And a few years ago, we created what was called the superintendent's pastoral team. 
And so that pastoral team was made up of uh, faith leaders from uh, inside the school district boundaries. And those faith leaders, we just, you know, we invited them to a meeting with our superintendent. and We invited them to come onto our campuses. Of course, they were all, you know, background checked and what have you. And we invited them to come onto our campuses. And we just saw amazing results. Um, fights, you know, the number of fights in high school and junior high went down. The morale on the campuses went up among the teachers. They, there just was a calmness and a peace that was brought to our campuses just by putting, you know, volunteer pastors on campuses part-time in our local school district. And so then whenever I was elected to the state level, I just started thinking about how can we do this for a state, but, all, you know, on a, on a bigger level. And so um, that's when we started talking about chaplains, and we created the, uh, the chaplain bill. And so in the state of Texas, whenever we were passing this legislation, the pushback was that, that people felt like they might interfere with what our academic counselors do because and, of and, funding issues and what have you. Right. So and so how we just created a whole new chapter of funding that will fund solely chaplains in the state of Texas, school chaplains. Which, which is fantastic. And so, um, and this is something that certainly a state has the authority to do and um, and, and can exercise this type of, um, of, of oversight and put this, uh, this type of role and position into uh, government-funded schools. So how is the Biden administration responding to this? Well, interesting enough, on May 15th, um, I received a letter from the U.S. Department of Education with uh, uh, guidelines on prayer in schools and religion in schools. So all of this time, you know, almost a year has passed since we had the Coach Kennedy case, you know, everything going on. And um, I think they're taking notice of great legislation that Texas is passing. But, you know, uh, uh, Brad Dacus with the Pacific Justice Institute has helped us along the way. And uh, for constitutionality issues, and uh, we believe that our our bill is solid, that our legislation is solid, and that um, you know, like I said, all all there's a lot of areas in our country right now where public tax dollars are used to pay for chaplains, our military, our prison systems, our hospitals, our municipalities, our fire departments, our police departments. So, you know, in all of in the whole world and of all westernized countries, it's my understanding that America is the only country of westernized countries that does not have chaplains for our students. Wow. That does not is, have school chaplains. Doesn't that just tell you everything about how our society and um, the liberal left is trying purposefully to take God and morality out of our society and out of uh, the study and the education and the life of children, which uh, will just create continual disasters for the next generation. I think we're even seeing the consequences of that now as, you know, the, the millennial generation, my generation gets older and then the rise of Gen Z. So this is a wonderful thing. And um, this this bill that was passed in the state of Texas. Um, so what type of support did it get in terms of the legislature? And I'm assuming that uh, Governor Abbott signed it. Yes, um, the governor has not signed it yet. We're within the 30-day veto window right now, but um, I don't think he has any 
And of course, I don't speak for the governor, but I don't believe he has any intent of, of vetoing this wonderful piece of legislation. That Well, that, that's know, that the action item then. Everyone, everyone who's listening from the state of Texas, you can call the governor's office, support this bill, encourage him to sign it immediately. He should sign it. And uh, so that's that's really fantastic. And um, Julie Pickering, really appreciate uh, all of the uh, the commentary and uh, the great work that you're doing in the state of Texas. Thanks so much for joining today. Yes, Jenna, thank you too. And God bless you and God bless Texas. <laughs> Amen to that. God bless America and the great state of Texas. I know we have a lot of listeners um, from the great state of Texas. And, you know, this is where um, all of the laboratories of democracy and seeing um, how the 50 states are either doing really great things like this with the state legislature um, or they're doing not so great things like we can always point to uh, California or New York or some of these other uh, more leftist driven uh, laboratories of democracy. They're actually trying to tear down institutions and these Soros-funded DAs and all of these things. Um, but then, you know, we also look to some of the wins in the U.S. Supreme Court. And I wanted to highlight uh, this particular case because it was um, Arizona versus um, Alejandro Mayorkas, who, of course, is the Secretary of Homeland Security. And uh, this was decided yesterday. And the case concerned the Title 42 orders, um, those emergency decrees that severely restricted immigration to this country um, for the so-called purpose, really, of uh, preventing the spread of COVID-19. So um, some of these cases are still going through the court system and are finally uh, being being decided. And Justice Gorsuch actually wrote uh, the opinion for the majority here. And uh, there was a great piece that kind of broke this down uh, and broke down the case. I would encourage everyone to go and actually read the decision. Um, the opinion is only about eight pages. And um, it's really beautifully written. And this is, I think, Justice Gorsuch at his best. Um, and the the headline here from the Washington Times is Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch scolds Americans over handling of pandemic emergencies. And uh, the, the uh, piece goes on to say that he issued a searing denunciation of the way the country handled the coronavirus pandemic in a statement Thursday. It was really an opinion Thursday. Uh, warning that Americans were all too eager to give up their freedoms on the say-so of a few chief executives. He chided legislatures and judges for vacating the field and leaving the president and governors unobstructed as they issued decrees. Those decrees cut deep into Americans' most fundamental freedoms, canceling schools, shuttering shops, closing churches, even even as casinos and other quote-unquote favored businesses were allowed to roll on. Justice Gorsuch also said it all took place while dissenting voices were silenced by social media companies responding to government pressure. And it all made for a very worrying study of democracy from, uh, or, you know, as we know, our constitutional republic. So Justice Gorsuch wrote this, quote, one lesson might be this, fear and the desire for safety are powerful forces. They can lead to a clamor for action, almost any action, as long as someone does something to address a perceived threat. 
We may even cheer on those who ask us to disregard our normal lawmaking processes and forfeit our personal freedoms. So his statement came as a part of this case, and he also uh, said that, uh, quote, since March 2020, we may have experienced the greatest intrusions on civil liberties in the peacetime history of this country. He said that Congress and state legislatures should take a new look at how much emergency authority they delegate to chief executive and he's executives. And he also said that judges need to be willing to get involved as well. This was an amazing opinion. I think it was fantastic from Justice Gorsuch. It was beautifully articulated. My only problem is I wish he had been willing to say this three years ago. And in May, June, July of 2020, have this kind of courage. And when some of these cases, um, like for example, when Grace Community Church and John MacArthur, uh, my former clients, were opening their church in the midst of saying, well, look, these the casinos, um, strip clubs, big box stores, they're all supposedly favored businesses, marijuana dispensaries. These are all open in the state of California. And you're telling church that we have to close? And he said no, and, and looked for himself and the elder board at what was actually going on, thought for themselves, had a dissenting voice and said, no, Christ is the head of the church, not the government. And when the government is telling us to go against the word of God, which requires uh, members to gather and for Christians to be part of the ecclesia and gather together, do not forsake the gathering together, uh, which is what the New Testament says, uh, then church was opened. And it, we went through a an almost two-year-long battle with the state of California and Los Angeles County because of this. And if the Supreme Court had back then been even more courageous um, to, to step in and to say, no, this is absolutely out of control. And, you know, and generally speaking, um, the Supreme Court is not a court of of action. They don't just go out and enterprise their own cases. They have to wait until they're filed. But so many emergency injunctions were uh, filed with the U.S. Supreme Court during that time. So many um, requests for emergency action for the court to get involved. So I applaud Justice Gorsuch for having this scathing of an opinion. I think that the legislatures of every state need to look at emergency orders. For example, the state of California Uh, The legislature had to actually intervene and through a convening of the state legislature would have to then declare an end to the emergency if the governor didn't himself. So he just has ongoing, um, just completely arbitrary emergency use powers until he declares the end. And why would a governor like Newsom ever declare uh, that he wants to end his own powers? Right. It took a lot of methodical litigation in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. And finally, I I still believe that the COVID-19 pandemic so-called crisis would be in effect today if the Supreme Court had not ruled against Biden's OSHA mandate. That was really the tipping point to say, no, this is a complete farce. We are not going to require employers with 100 employees or more to have a compulsory Um, experimental so-called vaccine. That was the turning point. And then you saw this entire narrative just dissolve. If the Supreme Court had not done that, and if President Trump had not been in office to, to turn the 
composition of the U.S. Supreme Court, and I still believe that will be his greatest legacy of his first term, those justices, we would still be in the midst of a ridiculous COVID narrative. And I've told President Trump many times that his greatest legacy is the Supreme Court, not only with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which of course I never thought I would see in my lifetime. That is huge but also because of justices like Justice Gorsuch and his other appointments that really shifted the court, hopefully back to a more conservative constitutional balance. So go and read this. Um, This is Arizona versus Mayorkas. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And it is the last segment on a Friday afternoon and or actually Friday morning. What am I saying? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm wanting this to be Friday afternoon already. Uh, but next week we will be at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando, Florida and broadcasting from there. And uh, definitely make sure to join us at 8 a.m. on Monday morning because I will have joining me uh, Governor DeSantis and I'm very excited for this interview and uh, he will be speaking at NRB to open the evening session uh, from Orlando, Florida. And, you know, it's it's really a great thing that um, he has been so strong on protecting religious freedom for the state of Florida, protecting parental rights, protecting free speech, and um, so many other things that really uh, has been a model of a conservative agenda and what he calls the Florida blueprint that other states should mirror. So as we've been talking this morning about the uh, the laboratories of democracy and uh, how we have differences in all of the 50 states, uh, we have really, as conservatives, been looking to Florida as a really great model. And uh, one of the best reporters in the state of Florida who has been covering all of these significant wins for the state of Florida is my friend Brendan Leslie. He is the CEO. CEO of Florida's Voice, and you can find that at flvoicenews.com. And it uh, he always provides really great uh, coverage of everything going on in Florida. So, uh, Brendan, good morning, and uh, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Hopefully, Brendan is there. Do we have Brendan? I don't know. Well, um, can you hear me? Hear me? Yes, there he is. Okay, <laughs> good morning. Yeah, he, he's Good thinking morning. it's the afternoon as well. Yeah. Um, so, so Brendan, you know, you've been covering um, Florida's politics and all of these great wins with Governor DeSantis. And in just the last um, this last week, he's actually signed a slew of bills protecting children against um, genital mutilation. It, you know, a lot of these sex reassignment surgeries um, has now changed uh Um, High school sports teams can pray openly in schools. Um, So all of this, you know, has really been a significant win. And from the perspective of Florida, um, what have you observed in terms of the overall legislative impact and wins for uh, Governor DeSantis and the Florida legislature? Uh, You know, it was the perfect storm for Governor Ron DeSantis to be able to be aggressive in this legislative session and see all these um, really conservative wins. And because you had, I mean, it's like for the first time in ever in Florida's history, we have no statewide elected Democrats. You also had uh, uh, super majorities in both the Senate and the House. And for the longest time, the Senate in Florida was always viewed as like the squishy 
side of things and they didn't have a super majority so they couldn't like those real red meat bills could never get through the senate because they didn't never have the votes but now because of the great work that kathleen pasadomo the senate president and then the previous senate president wilton simpson did on recruiting good conservative uh senators and getting them elected uh they were able to get through all that stuff so it's great all around and it's been a great team effort and on the ground, I mean, the, the base and the supporters couldn't be more excited because this is why they moved here to Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and this is something where we're just seeing kind of win after win. And and I wanted you to um, to tell us a little bit more about this um, this bill that was signed yesterday at Cambridge Christian School in Tampa, which um, is involved in a legal battle over praying before games. And so this uh, new bill, which is HB 225, uh, has has been signed and it allows then um, prayer before sports games. And Governor DeSantis voiced his support for the bill signing and said, quote, you have a right to free expression of religion. If government is denying your right to say a prayer before the game, they're infringing on your speech. And this is juxtaposed with a federal judge who sided with um, the Athletic Association last year and said that the association is a state actor and um, and so didn't violate the First Amendment uh, constitutionally protected right in denying prayer. Yeah, you've been having instances. I can tell you one that happened uh, in my backyard in Southwest Florida, a wrestling team, the coach and all of the kids were, were praying. And the school board member that was in attendance literally like got out of the bleachers, ran down to the coach and said, you will not be doing this. This is inappropriate. And like cut off the prayer. It's really crazy to see that things like that was happening so um this is a big win and hey it it can be any religion any religion can do whatever prayer it is it has it's not just a christian thing and and the media is always going to want to spin it that way but it tends to be the christians that are singled out whenever they pray Right. And and of course, it's um, it's generally the Christians who are uh, praying before these sporting events and, you know, and other things. And so um, th- this is typically then when the leftists kind of go crazy and they say, oh, no, we, we can't do this. And so um, so how is this then, in effect, going to help the state of Florida and specifically um, this case, to your knowledge, in terms of this bill being signed? How is it going to help the, the, the praying bill? Yeah. Right. And, and um, because this uh, this athletic association is already going through this federal lawsuit. Yeah, I think it's going to help give them a case and push it the, in the right direction for um, freedom of expression throughout the entire state. And not only uh, the entire state here in Florida, mind you, this could set the precedent for the other 49 states. So if there's a, a similar issue happening over there, they'll be able to put something through and then challenge it in the court. And then if Florida wins that case, it's going to set a precedent that's going to look good for the rest of the nation. Because, you know, they say, as Florida goes, so does the rest of the nation. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, that used to be as Texas goes. Um, So, you know, some of our listeners in Texas might uh, might quibble with that a little bit. And, you know, but it's great to see, you know, two states that are actually um, putting a lot of conservative policy out and are um, are wanting 
to be a laboratory of democracy that's actually showing some really significant conservative wins. And so um, with this kind of wrap up of the Florida uh, state legislative session, um, what are some other wins that um, the Florida legislature and through Governor DeSantis have actually accomplished that you've covered? Because I know that, you know, you and I have talked offline about um, some of the um, the freedom of speech, freedom of press issues. And, you know, there were a couple of other um, potential bills that were going to like the blogger bill, for example, that ultimately didn't go through that um, that in our view and, and my view, at least w- was uh, problematic and was actually um, trying a little bit too much to uh, to not protect freedom of speech. Um, but I think that Florida ultimately had um, had the best balance here. So in your view as a reporter, um, how what what is the landscape now at the end of this legislative session? Oh, I mean, the sky's the limit. I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what the long-term effects could be. I've never seen such a conservative legislative session ever in any state in the history ever. So it'll be very curious to see how it plays out in Florida. Can, can the Florida Republicans continue uh, just the onslaught and annihilation of Florida Democrats in the state. I mean, the, the Florida Democrats have a slight pulse now because they just won uh, the mayorship in Jacksonville and flipped that seat um, blue. But Republicans still have a super control, super majority control on the city council. So that's good. So it's not going to turn. Jacksonville's not going to turn in San Francisco. Don't worry about that. But a lot of people are trying to are wondering, did this super red uh, uh, legislation session have an indirect impact on that election. I don't know. I just it's hard to tell because that is such a swing state. So I'm curious to see if if you're gonna get the pendulum pushing back a little bit to the left because they went so far right so far fast uh, so so fast. I don't know. I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic and I know that Florida has great grassroots and Governor Ron DeSantis is a great leader. So I think they're gonna keep the get uh, the pedal on the metal and keep just kicking the Democrats while they're down and keeping them down. So I think it's going to be great. And I, I think you're going to see really good session next year as well. Um, and just as far as your question of what other wins there were, I mean, you could, I could sit here all day and go, you got China can't buy farmland in Florida. Uh, credit card companies can no longer track gun purchases in the state or they'll be fined. Um, Diversity, equity, inclusion has been banned from higher ed universities. You know, it's really funny. They say that Governor Ron DeSantis is destroying education, but here we are ranked number one in higher education. It's crazy to see just all the wins that are happening. So I like to always say uh, conservative um, leadership, it works for everyone. It doesn't matter what your sexuality is. It doesn't matter what your uh, ethnicity is. So I think people are going to see that and they're going to be living a better life. And I do think it's going to maintain a really nice red state going into 2024 and beyond here in Florida. Yeah, and this is what we love to see. I wish that every state had a state legislature with a super majority of Republicans and a governor that uh, was willing to put forward this type of a really conservatively aggressive legislative agenda. So, Brendan Leslie, really appreciate your time this morning. Um, he's the CEO of Florida's Voice. You can find that at flvoicenews.com. And uh, Governor DeSantis will be joining the program Monday morning from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And I always really look 
forward uh, to this event. And uh, for for some of the times that I'm able to go, of course, when I worked for President Trump, um, you know, had a few other things going on. So um, so it's it was a few years <laughs> during my time in Washington. Uh, I didn't attend, but this is always a great gathering of of conservative and um, Christian broadcasters, and um, really the focus of exercising our first freedoms, the freedom of speech, freedom of association, free exercise of religion, freedom of the press, right? All of those things together are exactly what we do here each and every morning and throughout the day on American Family Radio is exercising those first freedoms so that we can speak together about truth, about the things of God and how to move forward in exercising our faith, which of course, as Hebrews 11 uh, tells us and shows us with the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before is uh, is how we have to continue in our age to believe in the promises of God and exercise our faith by acting on those promises. That's why we exercise our faith. And that's why it's not just a belief in our head. And then we go out and live in a way that is contrary to our faith. Uh, one of my favorite quotations is actually from um, Casting Crowns, the uh, the worship uh, band and that group. And it was a long time ago, probably in early college, maybe I was at one of their concerts and Mark Hall, um, who is uh, one of their lead singers said, um, you know, you can say what you think, but you'll always live what you believe. And I think that's very true. And it was, um, it was actually very convicting to me where I thought, wow, I, I need to make sure that my actions reflect the truth of what I at least say that I believe so that there is no inconsistency there. And that's why we have free exercise of religion that is enshrined in our protections in our Bill of Rights, which is just a redundancy to say, hey, Congress, just in case you weren't clear, we gave you no authority in Article 1, which says... All of the legislative authority is given to Congress. Article 1, Section 8 specifies what subject matter uh, Congress actually has authority on and can legislate on. They're actually really, really, um, it's a really small category of, of subject matter. It's not literally everything that Congress and the federal government can legislate on. And so our Bill of Rights then says, Congress, just in case you weren't clear, Congress shall make no law right? Just in case you weren't clear. And so um, abridging freedom of speech and um, infringing on free exercise of religion, Congress can't do that. And um, we have to make sure that we are reaping the benefits of liberty and we are moving forward to create a more perfect union. And um, the state of Florida, you know, some other uh, great things that are going on in the state of Texas. Um, There's a, a huge battleground in my former home state of Colorado that has been totally taken over uh, by the leftists. It used to be um, a more red state that has now been infiltrated by really uh, bad governors, um, which I would include as a broad term, um, the legislature as well, uh, people who govern um, have been really, really terrible and have implemented policies that have been totally detrimental to people in Colorado. And so this is why we have to focus on some really significant wins in states like Florida that are doing so well. And, you know, that's not a commentary on um, the 2024 election or anything. I think we all can agree that uh, the state of Florida, the legislature, uh, Governor DeSantis has done an amazing job for the state of Florida. And I hope that every other state in the union would reflect that and would also uh, have those types of conservative policies so that we can continue to protect and preserve 
um, our rights, our freedoms, and our liberties um, into the next generation and beyond for ourselves and for our families. And so as we wrap up on this Friday, I just wanted to also draw your attention to one other thing, uh, which is called, speaking of uh, making sure we create a more perfect union, the AM Radio for Every Vehicle Act. Congress has introduced a bipartisan bill to protect AM radio on the dashboard. We're here at AFR that are very blessed to um, own our own towers and land. We are uncancelable. But for um, all of the AM radio, uh, this is something where electric vehicles apparently have some interference um, and so plan to drop AM radio. The Associated Press says supporters of preserving AM radio in cars cite public safety concerns. And uh, this is something that my colleagues at Salem Media um, have, br- have brought to my attention and saying, you know, this is something that because more than 80 million people across the U.S. listen to AM radio every month, uh, we need to make sure to protect that. Uh, for the future and beyond. So call your Congress members, support the AM Radio for Every Vehicle Act, and join us from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention next week, right here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. You can always reach our team, Jenna at AFR.net or on social media. Have a great weekend and make it a great day. Go and promote truth in society. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.